I am ready to go. Hello, this is the Rex Society Podcast. My name is Jeremy. My name is Tristan. And I'm Vicky. And we're all people that that want to do things probably related to film. Um, Okay. Um, I am feeling terrible. How are you guys doing? Um, I'm just enjoying this uh, waffle or whatever the fuck it is. Uh, Like, uh, yeah, Vicky... uh... (laughs) Vicky gave it to me and and you and uh, yeah it's, it's it's nice to have a something in your stomach in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is right. Definitely sounds like a mixed review. Yeah, so I bought them uh, for two reasons. One, just because I was curious to try them, and then uh, two, because it's Father's Day. So I thought my only skill in life, aside from talking is to make breakfast although the waffles are kind of made so you don't really gotta do shit (laughs) um but yeah they are not terrible but not great like definitely i mean and they're very dense and heavy so if you wanna they definitely need syrup maybe a little bit of butter we had it with an egg i don't know what the experience is like if you're just eating it alone with I'm literally water. eating it alone. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a liege waffle um that's made in Colorado. Why are we talking about this? Moving on. But <laughs> but uh they're not it's kind of like flat line. There's definitely a strong flavor there. Um but we kind of masked it with some syrup in in a fried egg. That's oh. how my morning's going. I'm feeling stuffed. Um, because you know those things are 50 grams of carbs, I just have to say. <laughs> Holy oh. shit. Um, <laughs> that is some condensed energy right there. And they're God so tiny. That's why, it, you know, no one, can't, no one can see anything what we're talking about, but they are, like, they fit in the palm of your hand. They're so tiny, and they're just 50 grams of carbs. Uh, yeah, we, we might have to post a link to what you're talking about, but uh, Vicky ever so kindly gave me interest in a... Tiny condensed waffle, waffle spilled, not like the regular way. Um, um, in our first uh, get-together since quarantine, had a lovely time at a drive-in, which we will get to in another episode, because I think there's another drive-in experience we have to get to first. Um, yeah, uh, I have not had mine yet. I will have mine today because I have not prepared food for me when I go to work. So 50 grams of carbs is a good sign to me because now I know I'll be filled of <laughs> a small snack. Um, that's great. You guys are doing good. Um, I feel good, too. All right. Um, let's get to the news that I don't have much of. Um, I'll start with the bad stuff. Uh, a lovely man passed away this week, Sir Ian Holm. Um, most famously known as Bilbo Baggins in the original Lord of the Rings trilogy. Um, I know him mostly as Ash um, from the original Alien film. And, spoiler alert, the first android in the original, or in the Alien franchise. Um, 
which, yeah, I mean, people don't talk about it enough, but the Alien franchise, the things that matter most outside of the Alien are androids and corrupt corporations, and he was the first of those two. So, God bless him. Um, I don't know if you guys have anything to say for Ian Holm, um, but yeah, I, I, he's excellent in Alien and numerous other films yeah like uh yeah he was great like i remember him also from the fifth element uh i mean he's in a lot of uh movies that i kind of grew up with uh at, at the time like a lot like early 2000s that i can remember watching with my dad and uh yeah like he's definitely gonna be missed i he was a talented guy and especially from lord of the rings that's probably where i'm uh more familiar uh, or at least remember him uh, the easiest from uh, is, you know, his role as, as Bobo Baggins. And he, uh, even though he was like in a short amount of time and the, the Fellowship of the Ring and also uh, uh, the Return of the King, uh, he definitely shined through, you know, through his roles and also from the Fifth Element that I can remember. And yeah, like I uh, I'll definitely, definitely plan on looking through his filmog- uh, filmography to kind of, see uh you know other movies that he's been in to kind of refresh my memory but yeah he's he's a talent that is definitely going to be missed yeah i i i think i re the first time i really remember clearly seeing him and and remembering him as an actor um was when i watched from hell with johnny depp um oh yeah that's a good one too mm-hmm. yeah um i mean i was like pretty young at the time probably in middle school i mean uh and just like kind of his role and and just how that story went about um you know kind of like who is the bad guy Uh, i mean it's been years now since i've seen it and i would like to see it as an adult now that i think about it um but yeah i mean you can't you definitely don't miss him if his face i mean if if you've seen lord of the rings uh trilogy but i think that would be my first recognizable moment of him even though i did see the fifth element like when you mentioned it just now i i don't i was like oh really like now i'm kind of curious to to look at some uh uh stills from him there so but the first one that that came to mind was definitely uh from hell which i loved uh from hell is a johnny depp movie i have not seen even though it's been on my parents' DVD shelf forever. Um, but, <laughs> you never seen it? Uh, Tristan, have you seen it? Oh, yeah, yeah, I've seen it. Interesting, I just saw it was directed by the Hughes Brothers, um, which I brought up to one of you guys recently. Um, but that is interesting. Uh, to speak on Ian Holm, briefly more, he is in the movie Alien, as I said, Brazil, Naked Lunch, and existence which if you want to make a square of my personality it's probably those four movies um two of those are david cronenberg uh but uh yeah all four of those movies are as i say many times exactly my shit um so <laughs> you're a mensch ian holm um you'll be very missed uh moving on um not very well for not how do i say it? 
Um, small filmography director Shane Carith, who has two films under his belt right now, um, said earlier this year he plans to retire after one more movie and seems to be having a mental breakdown. Welcome to the club, pal. Um, and released the full script for The Modern Ocean, which is uh, a movie that I was very excited for because I had an all-star cast of Anne Hathaway. Uh, why am I forgetting the rest? Uh, Tom Holland and a lot of other people. I'll cut this part out. Um, but yes, uh, um, Shane Kirith is director of Primer and Upstream Color. Um, Primer was a Sundance breakout hit that is uh, about time travel and has one of my favorite um, plot description images on the internet, which is just a jumbled mess of lines and words because that movie is very confusing. And Upstream Color is about pigs. I've only seen the movie once. I don't remember. But um, he's very prolific for having only two movies. Um, his other unmade movie, Topery, is also online in script form. And I've read that script. And it's a very fascinating script. It's not surprising that it wasn't made because it is over 200 pages long. And um, has a lot of bullshit going on. Um, a Modern Ocean, from all accounts of the people that have read it so far, is about ship trading. And sounds very boring. Have either of you guys seen a Shane Karras movie? Uh, yeah, like I saw Primer and Upstream Color. Uh, okay. What do you think of Upstream Color? Because Primer is a movie that yeah, I'm, I assume you like. So, well, yeah, Primer was, was cool. Um, and Upstream Color, because I... Because his movies, or is is interesting because his movies are definitely like they're not something that you just casually watch. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of detail like in his writing and also just in his craft that you that you really, really, really have to pay attention to. And I and I feel like there's a lot in Upstream Color that I've uh, that I've kind of missed in certain in terms of like you know certain thematic. Uh, points uh you know being made but like i i remember enjoying it because i um i know because i i think we even talked about it back in high school jeremy uh, i think uh because uh, i knew about primer but i but i think it was you that actually brought it up to me uh when we were in high school or or this movie was coming out and like you know you were hyped and then suddenly i got fucking hyped and so i like actually went out and checked it out and i remember i was like confused as hell like what the hell did i just watch and then I had to rewatch it again, and you know I kind of understood it better. But yeah, like I, I'll definitely recommend, uh, you know, watching like those movies because like there, there are different types of like films that like that isn't very common. Uh, I mean, like Shane Carruth, like he really puts like a lot of like because because it feels very intelligent in a way where you're kind of you're trying to. Uh, piece together a puzzle in his movies and and it's, there's no sugar coating there's no uh sort of i guess like catering to an audience it's just you know you get what you get and you have to understand his story and i think 
I think it's, it's it's a very cool experience every time I revisit uh you know a movie from his. Well, he's only got two, so. Oh yeah, I mean, you know, revisit <laughs> Yeah, and upstream. Um, um, but uh, Vicky, have you seen either of these movies? Um. No, I've I've only heard of Upstream Color. Um, and and I remember even the poster when you mentioned the name, but I've uh, I was curious why I never saw it. And then it, it looks like it came out in 2013. So I feel like I missed all films from 2009 from t- to 2013 from when I was in college. <laughs> but I definitely uh, I remember hearing about. It. I don't. I'd have to like watch the beginning to really like say 100% if I um because it looks so familiar and I feel like it was something I would have watched but I'm not recalling any scenes or anything so the safe answer is to say no I don't think so. I never I've never even heard of Primer. Really? Oh, okay. I, Primer's like one of the well-known like time travel movies. <laughs> yeah, I would say um out of those two movies Mm, I've only seen Upstream Color once, but Primer is, yeah, one of the best time travel movies, and I'm looking at a plot description now, and it has nine time temporalities, if I'm saying that word right. Um, It's very confusing, yeah, but quite enjoyable. Um, It's the blue-collar, well, I say blue-collar because they're like computer scientists. Uh, <laughs> Blue-collar time travel movie, even though it's not blue-collar at all. Um, And it's extremely low-budget, too. Like, it's so simple. Yeah, it was made for a nickel. Yeah, but, like, because of how smart they are, like, it really... Like it really makes it feel much more bigger than than it actually is. I mean, like the yeah, like the, the like when I was mentioning about the craft, like his writing, and just like the the way how the story like kind of reveals itself. Like it's very it's very technical. That's the best way to describe. It. Very very technical uh, for Primer, where you know a lot of these other time travel movies will kind of brush over certain things. Like Primer really kind of creates in its world like this sort of science that you don't really see often, or or, or if not ever. Uh, and and I, I I really think uh, you know it's something to, to kind of admire because for their short budget or small budget they really like thought about just about everything you could in the script and I thought it was really cool at the time when I saw it. I don't know why, but you talking about the film just now and it's probably really nothing alike, but it just made me think of the anime Steins Gate. <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, um, I don't know if either of you see it, but it's like about time travel, but it deals with the microwave. I don't know, just... I honestly probably shouldn't have even said anything. <laughs> it's just because you kind of talked about the minimalism of it uh, and yeah. how it felt grand. I don't know, it just made me think of uh, Steins Gate because it's also, like, very much like that where it's really... Uh, like, if you would... I mean, obviously, they're budgeted differently in reality, but it kind of had that, like, really simplicity of it, but there was a, a big aspect to it and and it's kind of like some people might either love or hate it like very stark opinions um which is which is what i would almost think about what the way that you're talking about primer but uh, you know i don't know but if you've neither of you've seen Steingate, then it doesn't matter <laughs> moving on <laughs> <laughs> i have seen very little anime and i'll come up later um but just to briefly say something more about Shane Turrett, he directs, produces, writes, 
stars, edits, and composes his two movies. So this is a man that has a lot of control over the movies he makes. That's probably only why he made two. Um, moving on. Theaters. They're reopening. Woot, woot, woot. Or maybe yeah. not. <laughs> At least maybe not. Who knows? Uh, we live in Florida. We're expected to get the worst of the virus in the second wave. Yippee! Um, I wanted to tie this into Tenet, my second most anticipated movie of the year. Um, Tenet was pushed back two weeks to July 31st, and in its place, they're releasing Inception for its 10th anniversary um, because Christopher Nolan releases all his movies on the same weekend, which is the middle of July. So you can release any movie, any of his movies then. It can be X anniversary. So Inception is at the 10-year mark. Um, that'll be released. Um, is expected to show a preview of Warner Brothers' upcoming slate, which includes Dune, my number one in- anticipated movie, which will probably not come out on Christmas because we'll be in the worst of the pandemic. Um, why I wanted to bring this up, I don't really care about theater releases and stuff, is that insider information says that Warner Brothers wants to delay Tenet indefinitely until the this all blows over but christopher nolan is the man in the white and says no america needs and the world needs one thing and that is theater going experience and he is the sole reason why it is being released at the end of uh july christopher nolan is one of the only few if the only director in hollywood where he Ask for something and it comes and the landscape changes. So Christopher Nolan says theaters to open, let them handle how they open it, how they handle it, and my movie comes out in July. I just wanted to bring this up because I love Nolan. We could talk Nolan for days. We could do an episode on Nolan. I would love to. But um, this almost seems slightly irresponsible of him to persist on this movie opening in July, especially with everything happening. Um, I could bring this up right now, and then next week it says Tenet is not going to open. Um, so this is kind of early in the running. But uh, how do you guys feel about Christopher Nolan being the one to say that Tenet opens at the end of July? Um and Warner Brothers being the one that wants to say push it back. Well, I think it just talks about um, you know, what what each person's motivation is and I mean make making a lot of different assumptions uh about either these company or or these people. I mean, it it you know, one it sounds like from the from the business standpoint, they they want to ensure that they make the most money as possible without having to, um, you know, either do like a re-release or a push to stream. I I, I think that uh, they paid a fortune and they want to ensure that they get their fortune and then some back. Um, with Nolan, it sounds like it could be one of two ways. It, it and, and on, 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 in like my left ear, it sounds very arrogant. Um, but at the same time, 
and, and very powerful actually to to know that you know how he is really just a single man and and how um he's able to have accrued such a a, a power to to be able to say uh to kind of get what he wants and get it his way uh, it, it's very it, it's very impressive as well because it's weird because it almost sounds like in a way that theaters are opening just for Christopher Nolan's films. Um, or is it that theaters are opening? So you might as well just have something worthwhile to go see. And then it's like, what came first, the chicken or the egg? Um, but I mean, I really, at the end of the day, it's, it's, I mean, I can't obviously speak for, uh, the behaviors of other people in other countries, but I, I think what's happening at least here in America is that, we struggle with finding a middle ground. Um, and, and I think that's the big argument we're having now. It's kind of like, you know, when, when everything really shut down, it's, it's, I think it jarred a lot of people. And then, and then we tend to have one extreme or the other. We tend to have people that are very uh, over, maybe like very paranoid um, or you have the other extreme that are just feel like their rights are being taken advantage of. And it's kind of like, all right, you know, how um, how do we reach a middle ground where we still try to enjoy life as safely as possible? So I guess the other side uh, of, of hearing this makes me feel like that's kind of what he's promoting, you know, um, that it's really, uh, it's really at your own risk. Um, and, you know, just let the theaters try to be as safe as possible and uh, make this happen. And I... My assumption, now I could be wrong, my assumption is that I don't know what other else is going to be in the theaters. I almost imagine like every theater is going to be playing this film. I feel like there's going to be a lot of showtimes uh, to 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 kind of make up for uh, since we can't sell out an entire theater, you know, with only three showings. If you do it on half capacity, then you might need six showings or something. <laughs> I just had this weird vision where they're just all every theater is going to be playing tenant. Now, obviously that's probably not the case, but um, I don't know. I, I think it's impressive. And, and I think there's an aspect of it. That's like, you know, I, he, he, it's like, he's confident that we can do it safely. And he kind of wants to set this example, but I mean, with the way that uh, the media kind of discusses uh, coronavirus, it's like, you know, that, you know, that first we're all, we all can already see the headline, the, I got coronavirus when I went to go see Tenet. I mean, it's coming. So someone's going to, it's going to happen to somebody and it's going to go on the news and it's just going to be a, a complete like added to this shit show. You know what I mean? And and it's kind of like, well, is that a valid or, or, you know, is it just something that's bound to happen? Um, yeah. So of course, uh, I mean, I, I agree with, uh, you know, with a lot of points that you mentioned, uh, Vicky, and, and I would like to add on that uh, he wants to, because Christopher Nolan, he wants to, he wants to sustain just the theater going experience. And I can understand that because like it, without theaters, you know, being a business, there's just not going to be uh, much of a far future, you know, going to the movies anymore. And so I feel like that's what's really driving him uh, is to try to. Uh, release his movie and and hopefully sustain it. Hopefully uh, revive uh, the industry for for movie theaters. But then also, uh, it it kind of like really puts it into into like a potentially dangerous situation for audience members if if these theater chains because they you know also want to you know still uh, 
be uh, be able to survive the the pandemic and and everything that's been you know going on as a result, they of course would have to go through these uh, drastic changes, whether it's cutting the audience count in half or uh, you know of course uh, having uh, training uh, workers to kind of sanitize these theaters uh, and kind of spacing out the the show times between like the you know these movies to to sanitize these uh, these theaters uh, and I feel like it's it's just a whole process that is definitely going to be difficult, and I can't imagine working out, uh, you know, just like overnight or just as simply as we would like it to. Um, and I, I and I hope it somehow doesn't, you know, create a sort of chain reaction uh, following this. But it definitely seems likely that that this could hurt movies more if it, you know, doesn't go the way as, as it's supposed to. And and I feel like uh, if Christopher Nolan uh, doesn't get that release date, I mean, everyone's going to be okay. It's not like it's going to affect Tenet in any way because there's a lot of other movies that are coming out. But I feel like if he does commit to it being released, I mean, I feel like if something bad happens, it's definitely not going to look good on his part. But if something good happens, of course, that will kind of up his, you know, like as you mentioned, Vicky, his sort of uh, influence, his sort of uh, uh, position in uh, in the industry and I it's, it's very hard to tell it's a, it's a huge gamble and like I I would definitely not want to be in that position to you know kind of uh, stay put when there's literally so much more going on like beyond the movie that you're trying to release that I, I understand that you want to keep the film industry alive uh, or I mean like the theater going uh, uh, experience alive but I just think that there is a certain responsibility that, like, uh, depending on how this goes with with his movie, it's going to be the the, the major factor for the future of cinema uh, going forward, in my opinion. So hopefully, hopefully works out. But yeah, like I, I don't know. I'm I'm still kind of on the fence because it's just it's like so many fingers to point at so many people. Like I don't know. I don't know. I feel like someone has to say no. <laughs> someone just has to say like, no, Nolan. Or, or like no AMC. Yeah, I, I mean, don't know. it's definitely well because it's like at the end of the day, I feel like as a as a as a company, like I mean, we're at a point now. I mean, I get it really depends on where you are, but in Florida, at least, we're like I mean, everything everything is is basically open. I mean, we have Dave and Buster's open again. And we have, you know, Rapids Water Park open again. And like, like are you serious? Yeah. Are you fucking serious? Yeah. Oh my god, we're all gonna fucking die. Oh my god. <laughs> you know, like they're, you know, they're opening. Up. So it's kind of like, I mean, in that in that case, it's like, well, shit. If everything's open, you know, then I I need to be open because otherwise, people are just gonna kind of just do those things or I mean and who knows it's not like I've gone so I can't um you know and then with Disney opening uh also in July 11th um it's like really we're gonna open up everything and we're not gonna open like I I, I, my concern honestly is that whether you're on one extreme of this argument or the other side I, I feel like movie theaters are being unfairly targeted as some sort of like you know, 
you know, incubation kind of like hub as if like, I don't know, it just seems a bit unfair, like that they're specifically targeted where when, when we're talking about kind of having all these other things open, um, when to me, a movie theater, now granted we're sitting and, 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 and breathing, you know, um, but, but it's so easy to space out a movie theater um like it's just so like it's just it's so much more controlled than than you know i don't know people walking around a water park you know where they think that they they're going to be able to encourage people to wear a mask in between water rides like that just sounds more ridiculous than saying okay um whether your family or not, like, you know, you, you sit every other seat or, or whatever it is, or, or like I said, you know, you're just going to have to um, maybe provide more sh show times or whatever the case may be to kind of try to, to kind of, you know, save yourself. It's just, it's just like, I've always felt like, you know, we really either got to um, do it like really, you know, intensely, which no one's going to like, but at least it's a bit, more uh you know i guess more fair in one side or the other you really got to shut it down or or you know you gotta kind of you know but yeah i mean if, if, if rapids water park is gonna be open i i just don't understand why movie theater you know it's just like you know every other row or or whatever it is you know what i mean it just doesn't make it just it just absolutely doesn't make sense uh well i'll just say florida does not have the best response to the the virus in general and um luckily theaters are <laughs> a nationwide thing so they have more time to coordinate and get their self white um like you vicky i go to the theaters often and at my local theater i also to get an ex uh a uh what do you call that extraneous seat far away which is the second row through the front in the theater, which sounds like a psychopathic thing to do, but once you recline the seat, it's the perfect <laughs> view of the screen. It is. Um, uh, <laughs> at the theater of my local. Um, sorry, I'm letting my dog into my room. Um, that being said, there's some theaters in the area that are doing good things, like the AutoNation IMAX Theater, which is the local IMAX proper IMAX theater of our area is doing a 30% capacity, which is probably the ideal way to handle this. And um, if Tenet does come out, that's probably where we will see it. And I'm making a declaration now that we're going to do an episode on it because God damn am I excited for that movie. Um, so yeah, that's Tenet. Um, we talked a lot already. Um, Oscars got delayed by a month. There's that. And that's all I'm going to say. Moving on to the main feature. Um, Jeremy asks a question. Insert theme song. Um, <laughs> there we go. We got it. Hey. Um, I don't have any questions prepared in front of me right now. I was planning to write them while you guys talked, and I got distracted. So, I will talk about first question. 
Today, as of our recording, it is Father's Day. So, dads. Let's talk dad movies, baby. Um, I'll let you guys go, because I got bummer dad movies. So, we all love our dads, though. Let's say that. You know, happy Father's Day to all the daddies out there. Um, yeah. So, hey, hey, what, what, what dad movies do you guys like? If you don't have one, I'll start with my bummer ones. Well, I mean, the first one that comes to mind every time I think of dad films is Jingle All the Way. Now, I know Jeremy yeah, yeah. hasn't seen it. Have you seen it, Tristan? Yeah, I saw it. Um, I, I, I mean, it, it would be ridiculous to actually call it a top-tier Arnold movie, but for family films, I mean, it's pretty great. It's uh, it's pretty great. I mean, I, I love, I'm a big Arnold Schwarzenegger fan. Um, he's kind of like one of the men I grew up with, I feel like. Uh, one of the most interesting-looking people of all time. <laughs> and... Um, I mean, it's 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 great. It's a, it's about a father trying to get his son a toy that is the toy of the year for all the kids, and he's just um, basically failing at it. So it's like, and he's just going through all of these lengths to uh, kind of secure this superhero toy, I believe. Um, and then something special happens at the end during the. Uh, during a parade, I believe. God, it's been so many years since I've seen this. Um, but yeah, I mean, I love Jingle All the Way. Definitely, I think, like a good kind of holiday film. Um, especially, I'm not super big on like Christmas-themed films. Um, at least not off the top of my head. Otherwise, I kind of think of like, you know, other films when I was growing up. Like Mrs. Doubtfire. I mean, best dad in the world. That's um, a good dad. Like, Great, like I, dad. Like, like, <laughs> I want, I want, like, like, I wanted to like mention it for Jingle All the Way, like how forty percent of that movie is basically Arnold Schwarzenegger versus Sinbad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> They're just both uh, uh, in competition, and then you know, how to uh, get that toy. A hallmark moment happens near the end, of course. Um, but yeah, so I also really like. Uh, Mrs. Doubtfire, I mean, that's something that I wa can watch at any time ever and just continually just laugh and fall in love with it. Um, I mean, I love Robin Williams, you know, it kind of goes up with their uh, liar, liar. I mean, that, that now that starts to go to Bad Dad where we're talking about a shitty dad, <laughs> but he gets better at the end. But I'll, I'll let you guys. Uh... I was going to say Robin Williams stars in a movie called World's Greatest Dad, one of his last movies. Yeah. Uh, which he is not a good dad in that movie. The title is Ironic. And then he's also another movie called Father's Day, ironically. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, World, World's Greatest Dad was just like so I sad. Mean, I mean, like, uh, yeah, because I, I remember, like, Big Fish uh, was, a, was a pretty good dad. We had... Uh, 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 Ewan McGregor, and also, uh, I mean, it was it was a Tim Burton movie, and there was, you know, of course, uh, Tim Burton people. Like you got, uh, well, I mean, I, I don't think, I don't think his uh, his uh, original Muse was in there, but I know Danny DeVito was in there. 
and there was a few others. Uh, but yeah, uh, Big Fish was definitely it, it was it was like a cool like sort of folky type of uh, like fairy tale in a way where I mean I mean you're just hearing or, or at least seeing like these these stories that. Uh, that this father has told his his son from when he was a kid, uh, and and now he's kind of he's basically like on his on his deathbed in a way where he's just kind of uh, you know still sticking to to his stories like the way how he told them where they're very uh, very fantastical and the son is kind of like uh, he's just trying to uh, figure out if if uh, the the truth behind these stories uh, throughout the movie so as you're watching it you're kind of watching a lot of a lot of the stories that, that the father as he as he's told them and and you're trying to figure out okay like is this all real or is this is this like actually as fantastical as he as he says it is and it's very it's very cool it's a very touching story because it really kind of you know puts the the son who who's grown up now after being told those stories and and trying to uh, make amends with his father before he passes away, that he, uh, you know, uh, kind of uh, realizes a a certain uh, what kind of man his father was uh, that he that he didn't uh, you know initially. But uh, regarding the other father movies that I can think of, I mean, there's Finding Nemo, obviously. Finding Nemo, I mean, you got a dad who's a fucking clownfish. Oh, that's true. And, I didn't even yeah. think of that as a dad film, but you're right. Amazing. Yeah, like he's literally trying to find his son and he's going across the depths of the sea, like going like he's going through like this this trail of turtles and he, and he's getting like he's hitching a ride with them, then he gets swallowed by a whale. It's like all these all this craziness and he he's trying to find his son, Nemo, who who kind of re- reached that age where he was kinda being, you know, a rebel and then it kinda backfires and so it's kinda like just trying to bring uh, father and son together, uh, literally, uh, after being lost. Um, so, yeah, was a, that's, a, of course, a classic uh, Pixar film. And, uh, I mean, there's another Gotta one. Gotta find that, that fish. <laughs> yeah, and then there's uh, Taken, which... <laughs> it's like, um, Gotta find that girl. Right. <laughs> I yeah, love like, Taken, man. My sister and I were like hooked on that whole franchise, even though like the editing starts to get worse and worse because I think Liam Neeson's knees start to give out. All right, come on. He's a 65 year old man starring in an action <laughs> franchise. Really they got to cut around him. There's like, oh, he, 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 he jumps and then it's like cut to the, he's on the other side of the fence. <laughs> Oh, yeah, there's that famous clip of him jumping over the fence that is, like, 20 cuts in 8 seconds or something. <laughs> Which, anybody listening, please watch that online. It's one of the funniest things. Out of context, you, at least. I can tell you I don't have money, but what I do have are a particular set of skills. Skills that I have acquired over a long career. Skills that make you a nightmare. Or, I mean, I don't know what the fuck I'm saying. Never mind. Um, sounded constipated less likely and he's yeah true that i mean i yeah his accent is difficult i mean come on like how like i mean i don't know i can't <laughs> i can't all right like if if you let my daughter go that will be the end of it if you don't i will find you and i will kill you i don't know I'll, all right let's i don't know I don't, I don't think of any other oh uh, okay um yeah so here's my thing is um 
I don't like. I'm not so much into oh, movies. Oh, Tree of Life. That's one. Tree of Life. I mean, I'm gonna bring up Brad Pitt in a second. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm not so into movies about dads. I'm into movies for dads. I like. <laughs> I like war movies. I like movies about guys getting jobs done because they're qualified for it. Um, I. I just like very genre to the point movies. Um, just looking at this now, I forgot about Vacation. Um, absolute classic to me. Um, Chevy Chase, great dad. In that movie, I don't know if he is. In <laughs> yeah, real life. I was about to say. Yeah. Like... <laughs> I don't know. He's a complicated guy. Um, but he's awesome in that movie. Um, I love that franchise. Speaking of a franchise that has varying quality, uh, talking of Taken, um, that franchise is great. Um, Cheaper by the Dozen is a movie I've seen a lot as a kid. I'm just naming movies I'm looking right in front of me. Um, <laughs> what I wanted to talk about was um, Sad Datra or Ad Astra as they marketed it, but that's not what it is called. Um, my number one movie from last year, starring Brad Pitt as a man that is sad about his dad. Because <laughs> uh, his dad went on a space trip and never came back. So Brad Pitt became the best person he can at his job. And then at the moment, he has to go on a mission to go to the space station where his dad was stationed. He breaks down and becomes a weak person. Um, I love this movie. Tommy Lee Jones plays his dad. Tommy Lee Jones, one of the best dads you could have. Not being his son, one of the best dads you could have. Um, and the idea of him traveling across space to visit his dad and having a fucking mental breakdown during it and his heart of darkness-esque trip is, I don't know, I, I absolutely love that. That uh, that to me is just such a great concept. Um, that it, it's one of my favorite dad movies, and like I said, my favorite movie of last year. Um, my other one would probably be Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou, one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, like maybe my number three. Um, which is Bill Murray is a bad dad that abandons his son. And, well, doesn't abandon his son. Realizes he has a son, which is Owen Wilson. If you haven't heard, know already, this is a Wes Anderson movie. Um, um, and he um, tries to rekindle with his son going on an expedition after Bill Murray's father figure dies in a tragic accident being uh, eaten by a uh, jaguar shark. Is a jaguar or leopard shark? Who knows? Um, and it's an excellent movie. Oh, Wilson um, falls in love with Kate Blanchett, my favorite actress. Um, yeah, but I mean, Bill Murray, one of the best bad dads. He's not my son, but he's one of the worst dads you could have. Gotta say it. Love him. He's probably my favorite actor for. Uh, I don't know if you guys don't know this, but he, Bill Murray was my favorite actor for like a 10 to 12 year period. Like, number one, I loved him in everything I've seen. 
Um, since then, he's dropped a bunch because uh, his recent output has been middled at best. Um, one, <laughs> but yeah, I uh, love that movie. One other one I want to think of, bring up is uh, Daddy's Home 2, which is uh, the sequel to Daddy's Home, which I have not seen. Um, but Daddy's Home 2 is about two dads, Will Ferrell and Mark Wahlberg. And their dads visit them, which is John Lithgow and Mel Gibson. And one of the craziest things about this movie is that Mel Gibson is an astronaut, and they don't talk about that enough. Mel Gibson was a fucking astronaut, and I don't know why it's the main, not the main focus of the movie. I don't know why every scene is not people asking Mel Gibson, how the hell was it in space? What's it like being in fucking space? You're so goddamn cool. No, they got to talk about other shit. But, I mean, anytime there's an astronaut in the room and you're not talking about being in fucking space, I don't know what the hell you're doing, but you're doing something wrong. Um, it, it worked me up so much. <laughs> um, Mel Gibson's a bad dad. John Lithgow's a good dad. Um... But yeah, that movie's good, actually. <laughs> I kind of like it, even though that's a huge problem in my eyes. Um, but yeah, Daddy's Home 2, watch it. Um, another bad dad movie, I guess, or good dad movie, would be Life is Beautiful, which is a very sad movie. Um, yeah. I'm talking out of my ass now. Moving on. End of the world movies. Let's talk about them, because you guys were bringing them up, and I can't think of many. I realize I don't like watching movies about the end of the world. It makes me feel bad unless they're absolutely fucking dumb, like 2012 or Independence Day. Well, Independence Day isn't. I just realized both those movies are not the end of the world. They're near end of the world, but then... The day is saved and society can exist afterward. I think 2012 literally ends on a ship, a la Noah's Ark. Um, but let's talk about movies where the world actually ends. Um, I want to bring up one that I actually do really like. Um, that would be Nicolas Cage's uh, Knowing from 2009. Nicolas Cage. Sorry. Sorry. What was that? I love that film, and I wish I saw it. And I, I still have a, a, a little space in my heart for for Nicolas Cage, even though he became like a a, a, con a consistent joke for like a solid five years. But um, I love that film. I love that film. And and next, but we don't have to talk about that. One. <laughs> oh, I have not seen next, but I have seen Noah, and I'm a huge Nicolas Cage fan, even when he was a joke. I loved him. National Treasure franchise is two movies I've watched a ton. Um, I think Natural, National Treasure was the first movie I owned on PSP. Um, if anybody remembers that, um, I think the, the, the me physical media was called UMD. Um, but uh, yes, Knowing. Uh, knowing's about a man math teacher, math professor 
who finds um, something in uh, one of those uh, those things, those things you put underground, and then you're like, 50 years, we're going to pick it up and see how the past was. Um, <laughs> God, I'm a mess. Uh, yeah, he finds one of those, and he finds a bunch of numbers on them and realizes they are essentially coordinates for tra- tragic events um, and how many people die in them. Um, so he finds them, and then he realizes that near the end of them, uh, um, he, he realizes he's looking at near the end of them, and then he re- then the world starts, uh, he realizes the world's ending. Um, aliens show up, uh, I don't remember. Last time I watched it, I stopped it after the plane crash, uh, <laughs> which is an excellent scene. Uh, but yeah, this is one of my favorites. I think the ending, spoiler alert, is um, all the kids are abducted by these aliens, essentially, which is a terrifying experience to me. Let me die in the world. Don't let me get abducted. Um, and they get carried to a new planet, and they're walking through cornfields, and they're expected to, I don't know, fucking make new planet. Um, but yeah, knowing. Um, that's probably my number one end-of-the-world movie. I mean... This is the end is probably another one, but that's a comedy. But I want to know, like, what movies where the world actually ends? You guys like? Um. Well, uh, I I like. Uh, I mean, I was because I was just watching uh, uh, Melancholia uh, last night. Uh, a nice, easy, breezy watch. Oh yeah, like it's uh, it's definitely something that makes you you know feel good about yourself at the end of it, and you're just kind of like, oh, man, this this week may feel great. Like I'm gonna and continue doing my thing today. Um, but yeah, like uh, yeah, this movie was his second addition to his uh, depression trilogy. The first one, The Antichrist, and then the one after this one was Nymphomaniac, which was broken down into two parts because of how long it was. Um, and I mean, I gotta say, like this movie is uh, is beautiful. It's that's that's like one of the the main things that anyone could agree with is as how beautiful this movie is. And um, you know, the opening it, it kind of takes you through like basically the whole movie within I think like the first like five or even ten minutes. It, it kind of uh, went on uh, and it had a beautiful score in the beginning. I actually had the score on a playlist. Um, and I think about that scene every time and like, I, uh, basically the move, basically the movie is about like a giant planet that goes out of orbit and it just crashes into, into the world and that, and it, and it destroys it like instantly, like, like it's nothing. Like we're just a speck of dust, just, just being like blown away. Like that's basically what the movie is uh, in case you were wondering. And, uh, not really a spoiler. It's, uh, it happens within the, the opening. You just see us get blown the bits by a giant planet and then uh it kind of the movie is about a wedding pretty much yeah and then it kind yeah. of uh focuses on uh uh kristen's dunce's uh character uh and and her her sister and and, and their sister's uh son how they are you know kind of going through like this this uh process where they're all kind of dealing with their own battles like uh a uh, kristen's dunce character she's depressed i think the her her sister is is dealing with anxiety um and her son is just you know a kid kind of you know being 
it's kind of loose, loosey goose, you know. But like, uh, it it makes you kind of question, I guess, your your position in in the universe where you are probably insignificant. <laughs> you think you are in control of your life, but you're really not. You're like everything can just you know go to shit, and there's nothing you can do about. It. I mean, for example, the coronavirus, like the whole pandemic situation. I mean, no one wants to be in this position, and and everyone wants to act like they're in control. But we're not, and that's why it's kind of. Um, I mean, yeah, I'm I'm gonna move on. I, I really I feel I could talk about the movie for like for a lot longer. But another movie is uh seeking a friend for the end of the world, which stars Steve Carell. Oh and, yeah, yeah, Kira Knightley. Um, and uh, yeah, like that one was like that that that's kind of like another like you know like movie where it's just kind of like you know the world's ending. If if we were told like oh this asteroid is gonna crash into us and we're all gonna die. Like, you know, yes, there will be orgies. There would be people just going crazy, looting and all this different stuff. Like, and and then, you know, uh, Steve Carell, he, uh, I think his wife just leaves him. Like, he's kind of like trying to go into work like it's normal because uh, he's still in autopilot mode. Like, and I would imagine just like how anyone else would, like, if they're just hearing news like this. Like, at first, they're just kind of continuing on their life like nothing's affecting them. But then, you know, fucking his job gets devastated and everything goes to hell. And then his wife leaves him. Uh, and, and then, like, uh, he decides to pursue, like, a road trip to find, like, someone who he actually had a real connection with, uh, you know, to spend, like, his last moments with her. And then he meets Kira Knightley, who's, like, a complete stranger. And, um, uh, like, it, it, it's basically showing this sort of friendship or relationship kind of blossom and uh and it's and it's a, it's a very i don't know I, I really enjoy this movie I, i'm sure it's probably flawed here and there sure but i feel like emotionally and also thematically kind of it was very touching in a lot of ways that i that i felt like i was really on board with and and uh you know by the end of course the, the like the world the end of the world actually happens but uh at least you know they're with people that they actually you know, love and, and, and they, they don't feel like they're in it alone. So that's, it's a beautiful movie, uh, I think. And also, you know, not as depressing as, uh, well, actually, they kind of both in the same way. Like, Bella Collins, uh, uh, ah, Jesus Christ, Lars, Lars, Lars von Trier's a movie in the, in the Seeking a Friend of the Underworld. Like, they both kind of end the same way, but just from different ends of the spectrum. One's really depressing. One's kind of hopeful, but in the depressing way where you're not beating around the inevitable. You're just accepting it, but at least you're grateful for the moments uh, and memories that you've shared with someone special. Okay, I think those are the two. You said this is the end. That was whatever my other pick, but yeah, that's it. Um, I just want to say about uh, Melancholia and the quote-unquote depression trilogy. Um, every single Lars von Trier movie is very depressing. Well, yes. Well, like, I mean, like you said, well, like you well, said this, the, this is actually I know, I know he calls it that. <laughs> it's Antichrist, Melancholia, and um, Nymphomaniac, which is, he said, movies he made while he was deep in depression. But when you t- first talked about the depression trilogy, I was like, oh, yeah, of course, Dog Dogville, you know. Yeah, yeah all of his movies are fucked up. <laughs> um, yeah, no. Every single one of his movies are depressing. I just want to say, that. I just think that's very funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, I was, yeah, I was kind of curious about that because I mean, like the depression trilogy. I mean, yeah, those because he has. I don't. Know, I feel like the depression trilogy is kind of it's depressing, but I feel like it's also 
not really depressing comparatively, I think. Is that just me or? No, yeah. I mean, I didn't find Nymphomaniac to be necessarily depressing. That's not how I would. That's not an adjective I would use to describe it. Um, two quick things I want to say about. I I mean, uh, we're going off topic, but I love. This is why I like asking questions. Um, I've never seen Nymphomaniac, but I love the series of posters for that movie of um, all the actors. I think it's just. It's hilarious and like very engrossing. And yeah. um, Charlotte Gainsbourg, the star of it, and the sister in Melancholia. Um, I was just looking her up. She has a music career, and her music's pretty good. So look up Charlotte Gainsbourg and listen to her music. I like it. <laughs> um, I've literally like three days ago, unrelated to anything. I just like I looked her up and I saw she had a music career, and I was like, oh, and it sounds good. That's all I want to say. <laughs> yeah, like the yeah the depression trilogy, like that was definitely that was like at a time when I was watching it where I was really becoming like you know like eighteen and it was just I felt like I really kind of got this sort of new perspective on on becoming an adult, I guess, because in a lot of ways I really affected like my transition into adulthood where I had this sort of mindset like after watching these movies of like you know there's this sort of like realism and then also because i mean i used to be a lot more optimistic like i feel like before i watched <laughs> these movies <laughs> all right vicky you got any good under the world uh movies i mean they don't necessarily like they're they're definitely kind of leaning towards a lot of shit is happening um, and everyone's freaking out about it. Uh, I mean, yeah, so you guys are, you're, <laughs> yeah, so I mean, I guess the world would have been saved. Um, you got, uh, melancholia was already addressed. Uh, and so was, uh, this is the end. Um, this is the end was, was, I think one of those first movies with those group of guys is how I'll label them that I kind of really liked because typically it, it wasn't like, I, I feel like I wasn't their targeted audience. Um, maybe because I don't know what it's like to be in a group of men, but to have bros and stuff. But, uh, but I did, I did like that. They kind of, uh, uh, how they approached it, um, this kind of topic. And, and it was funny except for, I don't know why, uh, a group of guys are always obsessed with butt-related stuff, but I think, I don't know, maybe you guys can give me this straight men scoop uh, and tell me what's that about. <laughs> you wouldn't I, understand. I mean, just like the need to always make it a joke. It's, 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 it, it, it just, it, it, it's like, to me, such a stereotypical kind of like locker room thing that, that you would, but what do I know? Um, so, uh, yeah, so that just, I, I thought was so ridiculous, but aside from that, um, because I also liked, uh, whatever it uh, I'm blanking on it now. The one about Korea or North Korea. I like that one too, but again, butt stuff. Anyways. <laughs> uh, okay. But, uh, so yeah, I mean, Melancholia has, uh, that kind of best uh terrifying scene there and 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 it 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 almost 
I know I when I when I saw Melancholy, I kind of watched it with not much context. Like I think I just I watched it solely for uh, Kirsten Dunst. Um, I think I was like on. Uh, I think this was like after Spider Man, I believe, and I was just like, you know, just watching everything she was a part of. Um, and so I watched it for her, and then not really knowing what so much the film was about. Uh, then you know it kind of. And then it kind of all came together. Um, uh, so I kind of like that 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 bit of not knowing and 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 really just kind of sticking around because I was kind of interested in what was going on and and how she's kind of torn between like why the fuck am I doing this? Like what is this really? This isn't going to mean anything. Like I feel like that's kind of like the whole mood of the film. Um, but again, not really knowing why she's necessarily feeling that way, and it kind of kind of all comes together at the end. It's like oh. Oh shit. Um, but I mean, aside from that, the only other things I could really think of that kind of come off end of the worldy, but you know, are are, are kind of related to um, like natural disaster kind of things in the and the um, two I thought of that I always think of when I think of like natural disaster films. Um, although I won't, I will just mention Twister, but it's really like in that specific area, so I don't really think that counts. But love Twister. Um, but I think under the world for Oklahoma. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which, uh, you know, it probably wouldn't be arguable. I mean, uh, could be argued. Um, but, uh, the other one I thought of was volcano. Um, really like that film. I, I just, it, I, I, you know, I feel like volcanoes or just kind of, uh, lava spewing, uh, from, you know, from the ground just as a way to kill us all. Um, and that just like one famous scene where it's just like oh the 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 graphics back then, where it's just spewing and they're just trying to stop it with like trucks and sandbags <laughs> and it's just like, uh, all right, you're not doing that can kind of count as a dad film also, uh, when you when you think about it, um, you know, oh, it's oh, a very much a dad film. Yeah, yeah, you know, uh, because you know with how the protagonist, and then it's also I feel like kind of. Going off what you're saying, a a film that I think dads would like too, um, and so yeah, those are the the only other one. Um, although I'm honestly forgetting how it ends, I'm totally blanking out on that. But I did really like, uh, um, what was it? Uh, it was in space, uh, sunshine. Oh where yeah. They- yeah, um, I, I thought that that, I remember I actually watched that film when I was on my, uh, uh, when I was on a flight to South Africa, and I was a bit delirious at that time, because I, it was a 16-hour flight, and I was flying alone, and I was, uh, scared, clearly, and I had watched, like, six films back-to-back, and then I think Sunshine was an extra one on top of that, and I was like, why am I watching this on a plane? <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it was not good. I mean, it has a great movie. cast. Um, so I, I think I would highlight that one maybe the most. Um, if I remember correctly, it's that the sun is going to kill us all. Um, and, you know, uh, the astronauts, uh, that's the, sh- the shortest way to describe them, um, is going to save us all. Yeah. Um, and I just, I kind of, I love... I, 
I really, I, I love a lot of space films because of how you have to like bring all these minds together and try to solve a problem, um, except for Armageddon, dad film. And, uh, you know, we have to like get these group of people uh, to try to like solve this problem. Um, and, it, and I love those films so much, maybe because I don't necessarily feel like smart enough to be an astronaut or something. So I feel like I'm like in the mix, like, okay, how are we going to save the planet or how are we going to accomplish this mission? And it's kind of like you get to feel like you're there without actually having to do any calculations or, or anything like that. Um, but so I, I think that uh, maybe that's the one sunshine I'd highlight the most. Although Volcano, I mean... That's a good one, too. If you haven't seen Volcano and you want to just kind of take it back to... I, I want to say that movie probably came out in the 90s, uh, maybe mid-90s. I, I don't remember the year. Um, but that's that's a solid kind of like... If you like, you know, Day After Tomorrow or, um, you know, like Twister or those kind of natural disaster films, uh, 2020, um, I think Volcano is kind of one of the ones that are that's right up there that gets completely forgotten about when talking uh, about disaster films. Oh, yeah, it's got that problem of being... Um, I think they came out the same year as uh, the other Volcano movie. Uh, what is it, Dante's Peak? Yeah, actually, I'm looking at it right now. They came out the same year. So two <laughs> Volcano movies at the and same time. It. I don't recall another Volcano as a as a antagonist unless do any of you guys can think of a, a volcano movie since then like specifically um joe versus the volcano which i've never seen <laughs> oh my god yeah, i remember the the movie pompeii with the uh uh fuck like what's his name that's the game of thrones kid yeah K- um, K- harrington yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. didn't that movie bomb yeah uh, yeah yeah. I mean, I mean, like, six dollars. I mean, like, yeah, like financially, I, I I never saw it. I just remember that uh, because that was like that was like his big film because him and uh, what's her name, they kind of were both getting films during that period. Well, he's well, he's gonna be in uh, uh, the Eternals for Marvel now, so I think he's still got some. Oh, no, you're thinking of the other? Is it the the other ones? Gonna no, they're be both in them. Eternals. Both of them are in it. Oh, really? Okay. God, I just saw Carrie Ann Moss is in Pompeii. I'm sorry. <laughs> I like it. I love Carrie Ann Moss. Um, let me just say one thing about Volcano. Um, the tagline to Volcano is, the coast is toast. What? The coast <laughs> is toast. <laughs> Oh my god, are you for real? Are you reading that from Yeah, no, look it up. I, I swear I swear to you it's the coast is toast. Oh which man. um we all peaked in taglines in nineteen ninety seven and we'll never recover. It, we hit the high point there. We hit the top of the volcano when that movie came out. Um I feel like it <laughs> this this understanding that that you know it didn't have to it felt it managed i feel like those kind of like 90s films they managed to feel serious while also like um like threatening with while also not taken too seriously i mean so yeah but i'm google and then the other one it's hotter than hell <laughs> oh yeah oh uh, that was cool <laughs> I mean, you, you, your life definitely feels threatened, but at the same time, you're just like, it's just having a, a good time. 
Uh, I, uh, never forget it. Never forget it. Yeah, I, I, I remember seeing where like a bus or an ambulance uh, gets surrounded by uh, um, lava, and, and they like move the crane, the um, the fire truck crane over to kind of pick them up or something. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I enjoy that movie thoroughly. I've only seen it once, uh, like two years ago. Woke up hungover and watched it. <laughs> um, it's great. Um, two other end of the world movies I completely forgot about, which is insane, is Doctor Strange Love, which is on a, any other day, it's maybe my favorite movie of all time. Um, that movie does end with a nuclear bomb dropping on the world and uh, uh, Slim Pickens riding it. Um, uh, uh, famous shot. Uh, that movie's great. Um, one I do want to highlight because um, it's less well known than a Stanley Kubrick movie is uh, it's called uh, It's a Disaster. Um, it's a 2012 movie, um, starring David Cross, American Ferreira, and um, Julia Stiles is in it. Uh, um, it's a uh, it's a comedy where a um, a couple or like a couple couples, oh god, a couple couples get together for brunch, and um, I guess like news comes out like uh, um, like there's a a dirty bomb that goes off, and then uh, like a lot more bombs go off across the world. So it's just this group of couples that are like kind of stuck together in this house, and um, it, it goes about as well as you expect, um, you know couples intermingling and stuff um yeah that movie's great um i'm looking in it right now you can watch it on hulu amazon prime to be very funny movie um and it's dark because you know the world ends at the end um all right um i didn't think we'd talk that long about that so uh um i guess i'll group these two questions together even though they're completely unrelated um stealing a question for from another podcast um which celebrity would you like to ride on a plane with or creative i guess um to keep it in theme with the show and what is something that you know that the other two have not watched and would like them to watch so i'll, I'll start quickly um uh i'll say i would like to ride on a plane with uh or sit next to on a plane with um one of the two bald guys that wear glasses that, um, you know, write things. And that's Steven Sodenberg and Damon Lindelof. I'd like to sit next to either of them on a plane and just talk about movies. Um, something I would recommend to you two, um, which I just realized I don't know if either of you would like. So um, I'll just be brief. Um, about a year ago from now, Neon Genesis Evangelion came on Netflix, and I watched it. It's the only anime show I've ever seen, and I absolutely loved it. Um, you don't know what it's about. It's about um, these giant monsters called angels um, attack the earth, and um, one at a time, so, you know, you can make it a weekly show. Um, and... Uh, they use these giant robots to 
to fight them, and these robots um, are piloted by children. And the show kind of follows these children um, and, and and others around that work for this. And um, that's the how you describe the show, but the show's really about how all these characters cope with their mental issues. And that is exactly my shit. And I'll keep saying that phrase. <laughs> um, and it's, um, I absolutely love the show. You watch the first 10 episodes. It just seems like a generic anime. That's really well animated. And, um, as you go further along, you're like, Oh, this is actually fucked up. And then, the final two episodes, it's only like 26 episodes. The final two episodes, they quote-unquote ran out, well, they did run out of money. But, um, so it, it, it becomes like an experimental piece of just, I don't know, narrative. I, I think the final two episodes are very controversial. Well, they're very controversial, and they ended up having to make a movie because there were so many death threats and, like, uh, controversy surrounding these final two episodes that they had to make a movie to kind of finish the series. But the final two episodes are one of the greatest pieces of narrative. Um, it's so inventive and creative. Um, I absolutely love it. But yeah, the whole show is very well animated, very good. Music's excellent. Um, characters are very in-depth. Um, it's all on Netflix, so you can watch it. Um, I say, fuck the people that say the Netflix subs and dubs are bad because they're not the ones that were available essentially illegally because the show was impossible to watch until Netflix distributed it. Um, fuck those people. They're great. They made me enjoy the show. It's honestly one of my favorite shows ever, and that was just after one rewatch. I love it. I think you guys should watch it, even though I don't think either of you would like it. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So, who would you like to ride on a plane with? What show or movie would you want us to watch? Um, well, uh, regarding who I'd like to ride on a plane with, I would say uh, uh, David F. Sandberg, who directed uh, Lights Out, Annabelle Creation, and Shazam. Uh and the reason why is because he started off as, you know, it's basically us. Or he's uh, from Sweden, and he had these no-budget uh, short films. Uh, like, Lights Out was one of them where he really uh, grew uh, as someone who got the attention of someone like uh, James Wan. And because of uh, a Reddit post, at least when he described it anyways, like uh, when, when that short film came out on reddit he suddenly uh became discovered by a lot of people in hollywood and he was flown over there and and he went into detail about his whole experience where everything was really up in the air like he uh was just waiting for it to be green uh you know greenlit and he uh, had a writer that he was collaborating with during this whole process and it was just kind of like this gamble where he just dropped everything from sweden and then uh you know moved to the states uh in california and he just kind of uh, you know, of course, very anxious about it. I mean, he has his wife with him, too, who's, all, who's an actress. And, uh, you know, of course, the whole process, as he's describing it, I mean, he finally got it greenlit. And then he 
uh, went on to the set. He he's not an experienced director. He literally shot these short films with his wife in his home, just trying to find any way of shooting them. And he's also uh, uh, an animator uh, in a way. Like he he uh, uh, has uh, experience with uh, graphic design and and of course this, uh, uh, various different editing software. And so he kind of has this uh, experience that he's sort of practiced over the years trying to uh, get jobs in, in, in Sweden. And he uh, basically tried to utilize it to his advantage because for the limitations that he had on Lights Out, he made up for it with uh, some experience that he's put into practice and also the sort of straightforward, uh, simple, uh, uh, simple thought process behind his initial shorts that he made at his home. And so I thought that was all very fascinating because, I mean, there is there are a lot of questions that I would like to ask because he, for one, is not an experienced director, but, you know, he grew so fast and and like uh, and that could also be, uh, you know, the same for Ryan Coogler, who I would also probably want to be on a flight with as well to just have these different conversations because of how. Uh, you know, they just kind of blew up, like, uh, out of pure chance. Uh, I mean, Ryan Coogler, he was, uh, uh, at least from what I can remember doing research about him, he was uh, a football player, and then he, uh, I believe something uh, happened that kind of uh, led him to shift gears a bit. And so he kind of focused his intention on film, and he entered into, you know, a film festival, then got discovered uh, uh, that way. And so it's... It's all these, you know, different kinds of uh, experiences where, or I, I kind of think to myself, how random, you know, someone who may not have either plans to be a film director ended up being a film director by either making uh, certain choices that kind of brought them there, or, or by pure chance. And and I think it's very fascinating to kind of see how they kind of transition into that position where, uh, you know, they're at their very peak potential of a promise uh you know in, in the industry where uh you know they're given these big projects and and they're kind of creating an influence in a way of as as this new generation of, of film directors kind of progresses and I, I i would i would love to kind of sit you know either with one of them or both of them to have that sort of discussion about their transition uh and how they are able to collaborate with everyone and how they're able to figure out everything on the go. Um, but uh, uh, I, let me just say, David F. Sandberg, watch his YouTube channel. It's very informative. He yeah. talks a lot about making Shazam. Um, that's why I wouldn't ride on a plane with him because I could just watch his YouTube. And also watch the Lights Out short film I, because that is a short film that gets you into Hollywood. That's yeah, all like, I'm going to say. Yeah, like and I... I, I yeah, I watched I watched all of his YouTube short uh, his YouTube videos and and he'll discuss it. But I mean that but that's still like that's just scratching the surface in my opinion because I mean it's 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 good information, but I feel like there is like so many more questions that I would like to ask that obviously you know he probably can't you know put into a video behind the yeah scenes. whatever Hollywood stuff you can't talk about stuff and you know yeah but, uh, it is but, what it is but watch lights out and then Ryan Coogler. Creed, the best Rocky film, fight me. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, go on. <laughs> but yeah, like, um, yeah, like he, uh, yeah, he's, he's, yeah, they're both fantastic uh, as far as, you know, from where they came from to just uh, get to where they are now. It's, it's awesome. Um, and, 
as far as anything that I would recommend either you or or Vicky, uh, well, I would recommend you, Jeremy, the Five Bloods. Um, <laughs> I'll watch it. I had a tough fucking week. I'll watch it. All right. Yeah. So enough said. <laughs> uh, for uh, Vicky, hmm. There are, because I know you don't like going back to like uh, certain movies, but I feel like there are some movies that I would like you to to, to check out. Um, oh, wait, hold on, hold on. Don't peg me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I try to move forward, but when it comes to suggestions, I I mean, we talked about the other the other day, literally last night, what I'm currently watching um, uh, that I'm going to you know that i'm watching over the garden wall which is a, a couple of years ago so if through suggestion <laughs> through suggestion you know I, I i watch i try anything you know i don't want to sound like an elitist oh no of course of course not um but like uh <laughs> uh i would say i would probably say um yeah, because there's like somebody to think of on the on the top of my head. Probably. What's well, something that feels very good to you personally that you 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 think you want to just share? Something you yeah, yeah yeah absolutely just like adore and feel like not enough people have seen. Well, well, while he's thinking quickly, I, I want to say that I remember when <laughs> you showed me the short of the the lights out short. Um, I think it was when we were like shooting one of our short films and we just got into a conversation about him and you showed me that and I was absolutely terrified uh, just from those two to three minutes um, and I've never seen I, I think I still haven't seen the feature length I don't recall because I don't horror films are one of those things that I don't normally seek out so again like if someone recommends them so I'm glad you mentioned that now because it's like a reminder to me in general because like that was a motivator for me to uh, for me to see the the feature length film and Jeremy is totally right uh, um, from from what from like the three minute thing I saw that that it's like that is like how you how you come up with a simple a simple concept but if you do it right I mean you really just open the door yourself you open the door yourself and you walk right through it yeah yeah. I'll I'll say about Lights Out. It's such a good short film. I have zero interest in watching the feature. <laughs> I I get it already. But I love Annabelle creation and I love Shazam. So he's a very talented filmmaker. Yeah. Um. Hmm. Uh. I can't, tell, I can't tell if all this thinking you're doing is because you're I I'm 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 a pickier person than, than you see than you I, I'm I, that you think I'm pickier than I am or I yeah know. I know I'm like uh, <laughs> I, I think wanna... she would have some interest in Evangelion but I'm like I have still you recommend ha it. have you watched the Big Lebowski uh, Vicky yes fuck all right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Why would you recommend that movie? I, I mean, I, I don't think. <laughs> I don't know. I'm like just thinking of, like, uh, oh wait, oh oh yes, I know one, I know one, Barton Fink. 
Okay. Yeah, that's a good movie. I think yeah, anybody Martin, should watch that. Martin Sting. Good screenwriting movie. It's not even in my top five Coen Brothers, but it's good. Yeah, like Barn Fig is a good one, but I feel like it's a good like. I feel like for Coen Brothers, uh, I think it's definitely one of those like great uh, first introductory uh, introduction type of movies for for them. Well, she's already seen Big Lebowski, so. Oh yeah, I mean you know Big Lebowski, but then also like uh, Barton Fink is one of them. Um, yeah, because they're they're well, I definitely really haven't seen enough of their films. Um, but I I've seen like maybe like a small handful. Yeah, Barton Fink is great. Like you should definitely uh, check that out. Like it uh, because it, it, it's you know it's basically like it, it's 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 our frustration in a way. Like as you know, people were trying to like get certain things off the ground but there's also like just in general like this sort of uh like peek behind the curtain as to you know what kind of process the corn brothers themselves have to go through to to get something made as screenwriter uh, you know as, as uh getting like a script off the ground plus more <laughs> john goodman plays the devil mm. I'm, I'm, I'm a little scared sometimes when jeremy says something because i, I, I... <laughs> I'm always like it. It sounds like a spoiler, but it's like not. <laughs> so it stresses me. I out. guess you have to watch the movie to find out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, I don't, I don't like spoiling movies. I mean, it's. I think that's just a an idea that makes the movie a lot more enjoyable. <laughs> I guess so. It's my turn, huh? Um. Alrighty. So, I mean, my immediate answer to anything like this, um like plane ride or who you invite to dinner now it doesn't i'm gonna do a twofer answer because my my honest answer to this question unrelated to film um is bill maher i mean i can't say that if i had to choose between anyone in the world uh it would definitely be him but to keep it on the topic of film i would have to definitely go with Britt marling um i think that she is one of the most creative uh like either, uh, writers uh, and actresses of uh, uh the my generation the millennial generation not how millennials are grouped with zennials and how everybody complains really about zennials and not millennials um but we kind of get thrown in it um but uh yeah so uh, of kind of like my generation I, I i think that she has come up with some of the most unique work i've ever seen um she's a great actress uh you know she's beautiful um it's kind of like uh, all these kind of different different things you know i don't i don't know i would be simultaneously excited to just want to pick her mind but also feel like I'd be staring at her and not have any questions to ask. You know, depends on my mood that day. Um, Welcome so, to the club, sister. <laughs> I mean, she is just abs- uh, and 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 when you see her in interviews, she manages to to like get away with saying certain things or talking in a certain way that you know I honestly wouldn't have any patience for if it came out of anybody else's mouth <laughs> um but she it, it she she sounds so sincere and and um 
in the way that she talks about creativity, uh, she's also politically driven. She's the only celebrity, um, which, you know, I guess depending on, on how you really categorize who is a, who's a famous person, who's not, um, you know, she's, she's also, uh, politically driven. Um, and, and I mean, she's just, uh, I'm acting like she's sitting next to me right now. Like I can't even think of anything to say. Um, but she, she I just, I found I found her work. I mean, from the first thing I saw, which was uh, Another Earth, um, just because I was interested in the idea of parallel universes. Now, it wasn't so much about that, and it was more grounded in in a reality, which made it even better. It was like right up my alley. Like, you know, I am definitely, I think anyway, like part of her targeted audience. Um, she's kind of what I, if I have to look up to to someone as you know what kind of stories I would like to, to make. Um, and then, you know, she just, she, and it's between her and her writing partners out and they just kind of, it, it's just everything about them. It's the stories that they make. It's the effort that they go through um, that, you know, that they talk about that, you know, I'm sure that them and other filmmakers, you know, go through, I remember in an interview, they were talking about how like, uh, you know, when they were, when they made Another Earth and they made the sound of my voice, they made them at the same time. I believe they made, like, one during the day and one during the night. Um, and then they had to, like, return their laptop, like, every week because they couldn't afford it. So they were, like, going into Best Buy every week, buying a laptop, editing, returning it, buying it, editing it, returning it. Um, and then, yeah, then they both became successful uh, uh, Sundance films. Um, now, obviously, she's a little bit more commercially known for her work in the OA, which is still on Netflix, which is, uh, you know, uh, still seen it kind of by a lot of people, but also not by a lot of people. Um, and I just think she manages to make work that is thought provoking without making you run in circles and confuse you, uh, which is maybe like, I don't know, just cause we were talking about Christopher Nolan, what kind of might a Christopher Nolan film might do where, um, where I feel like some people just leave the film like what like they're like that movie was so cool but like what happened <laughs> I gotta watch that again I gotta watch Inception again um, you know but uh, you know so she she manages to like you know really elevate your 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 mind a little bit but still just be about the 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 interactions between um, everyone so on that note I mean I will kind of tie her into uh, what you what both of you should watch now I don't entirely know what films of her like i know jeremy watched oa i don't know um but ignoring the oa actually um what i can mention is 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 to watch any one of the her the films that she participated in um so i'll kind of mention them from like a rank order from like my most favorite to least favorite and then you know uh, the first one uh being the sound of my voice um i i, I prefer the story more in that one uh just because it's a bit more on like the uh i guess i don't know like sci-fi fantasy but it's also very very light um it's a little bit well it's kind of plot and character driven i was gonna say it's a little bit more plot um uh, like plot driven but then maybe the another earth is character driven i don't know whatever um so i would go with the sound of my voice well okay so have either of you seen the sound of my voice I have seen it, 
and I fell asleep in the last 20 minutes, so I can't say. And that's not to the movie's fault. I was just a tie tie boy. Oh. Yeah. So, so from like my favorite to I guess least favorite, even though I honestly don't have a least favorite, would be The Sound of My Voice, Another Earth, uh, I Origins, which she's just more of an actor, but uh, she didn't had a, a she she didn't write it uh, or co-write it, uh, but I mean it was also um, with one of her close friends who, uh, who wrote it, uh, Mike Hill. Um, and then the East, which would be like the, the my ranking order. Now, is there one of those films that you guys haven't seen? Because if you've seen all of them, then I'll mention another film. I saw uh, another Earth, but uh, yeah, sound of voice, uh, sound of my voice. I didn't get to catch that one though. No. Right. Okay. So then, Jeremy, did you see another? Uh, Earth? I, I honestly, honestly, God, I was. This close to watching it, and I'm putting my fingers together, as in very close, <laughs> to watching um, Another Earth this week. It's popped up three times, and I'm like, I know Vicky would love if I watched this, and I just... Well, you know didn't. what? I, I, you know, I'm torn. Have you seen I Origins? I haven't. I love the trailer, and me and my mom really wanted to see it, but we didn't get to. Okay, and Tristan, have you seen I Origins? Uh, no, I haven't. Okay, so then, you know what, I think I will just make that as my vote for each of you, because, um, as, as the film that oh, I... Oh, wait, actually, I have. I oh, did watch it. Okay. <laughs> um, well, okay, for, for Tristan, it's The Sound of My Voice, um... I mean, maybe the East. If you, I don't know if you've seen that one, but anyways, you explicitly said you haven't seen The Sound of My Voice. Um, so I would say the sound of my voice for Tristan and for Jeremy. Um, I think I want to say to put I origins before another earth. And I kind of curious, I'm going to bet for myself for this one. I mean, unless one is obviously more accessible than the other to you, but if I had to choose, I, I, I kind of want to say, um, I origins, even though she's, she's more of a, she's more of a supporting character. I think the, the grand idea of it, uh, is is more interesting where another earth is just kind of like struggling with grief which i mean is good too i mean they're both amazing they're just completely different i think um so yeah i mean she's just it, it's to me she's a powerhouse uh and uh and i just i really valued how her just approach um and, and, you know, she just kind of, she had this, like, you know, when she was younger opportunity to be in the more, like, private sector um, financial world. I mean, that's where she was going. And then she decided to, you know, just take a plunge and, 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 and follow, you know, her heart and uh, with, you know, her two best buds. Um, and they just, they just really put themselves through it. And, and they never stopped. And that's kind of like how I would like to, you know, approach filmmaking, I guess. You just keep doing it. Like, it's your priority and everything else is just in the back burner. Um, and I guess to me, it would show that, I mean, of course, you need good content and all these other things. But it kind of feels like, it kind of makes you feel like if you if you got something good, then then the, then the world will kind of, will know that. Um yeah, I mean, I just, she's amazing. 
I'm going to end this before I start to drag it on. <laughs> I absolutely agree with you, and she would be my choice too, but to ride on a plane with, but I think I would be nauseous the whole time and afraid to say anything. Well, and I, um, well I, I'll, the last thing, not to her, just in, in this topic in general, when I was, I was really tough thinking about a person because, I mean, there's a lot of people I like to sit on a plane with, but I was also trying to think of who would actually just talk to me back because, I mean, this is obviously a hypothetical question, but, but I, I can't, I, you know, I was thinking of some names and I was like, you know, would they actually be engaging? So like, I kind of thought about it a little bit more. I was like, who would, who is a filmmaker that I think would actually engage and the way that I just saw her in a couple of interviews, I, I just, I feel like she would almost enjoy conversation in general, just maybe like anybody else. But again, I mean, you know, I don't, I don't know her in real life. It's just the way that I see how she approaches interviews. It's just kind of like, you know, I actually think that she will engage with me and not just because it's a hypothetical fantasy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she does seem like a genuinely good person. That's why I chose two people. I feel like if anything, we could just talk about movies. Um, and, you know, that's what any person that loves movies would be willing to do. Um, I just want to add on quickly that uh, to you, Tristan, I recommend watching her show, The OA, because seriously, it's one of the most unique fucking things I've seen in my life. And um, it, it, it's, it's, it's absolutely wild. I, I love it. Um, she's instantly one of my favorite creatives, even though that's the only thing I've seen from her. Does she? Uh, does, does that show end on a cliffhanger? Because I know it got canceled, right? Um, I wouldn't. I would say it does not end on a cliffhanger. Um, I would say yes, it does. But if you also consider it the ending of the show, it's one of the craziest endings to a show. <laughs> while <laughs> right. like while being a closed ending, like, yeah, it, it's a cliffhanger or not a cliffhanger. Yeah, it's kind of like it's. I mean, to me. I mean, cliffhangers are, are kind of like, I don't know, like an actual cliffhanger to me is like when you, when, when, when you know that it was, I mean, I guess with them, they did set it up in a way to, to get finished. I mean, she said that they have like five seasons planned out. So, um, so I think, I think it comes off as a cliffhanger because, you know, they had this intention of continuing and it, you get it, you get so fucking mind blown that you get really pissed off at you know I, like you understand why people were outside like talking about netflix like protesting okay because yeah. I, I i probably would have too if i was in california mm-hmm. um but but when when you just really think about just ignoring all of that and just tell yourself it's like one to two seat like two seasons and that's it it's kind of like it's, it's still mind-blowing but i don't know if i would call it yeah i would call it more mind fucking blowing i mean whoa <laughs> yeah i it, it's it's i mean it, it's it's something that sets up another season but it's also like it, it's got to be one of the greatest endings to a tv show ever uh, honestly like it, it's i i just don't know what to say i say the first season finale is like just the craziest thing to describe then the season two finale is just one of the just the craziest this ending to anything. I, I uh, oh god, yo yeah, is so I, I, <laughs> I, I honestly just kept like hoping or something that they would 
you know, like, I mean, maybe they are, you never really know, but I was just like, come on, they got to do, even if they did like just personal funding, like I would put, uh, I feel like I would want to put some money towards them finishing that. Like what money? I don't know. I will find some (laughs) pennies on the ground, but it just, it seems like a creative injustice that they don't get to finish that story. Yeah. Yeah. um, Which is rare. I don't think I've ever really felt that way about to say like, oh, damn, that sucks that that got canceled. And, you know, it, it, it feels like an injustice. And I don't think that that's biased because I'm I, I, I'm obsessed with her. Yeah, I think that's just in general. But yeah, yeah. I'm, su- I'm surprised like that Sense8 like was able to get a finale like uh, after getting canceled. Uh, I mean, I, like, you know, good for them, like for that, like, fan- because I mean, I actually watched Sense8 and like I. I remember, like, when I saw the cancellation, I was like, oh, fuck. I mean, that's that sucks. But, you know, then, like, when they announced the, the finale movie, I thought it was a pretty cool way to wrap things up. So I'm, like, I'm curious, like, what really kind of provoked Netflix to, to, to make the decision for that, like, uh, uh, finale compared to other uh, shows or whatever that have, like, a, 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 I, I would imagine a... Uh, a, a declared fan base that you know obviously is upset about about the show's cancellation. Like I, I'm curious, like why why Sensei was able to get that well, proper send off? Well, the Wachowski. Because well, I think because it's it's community driven because it's like because you know with the with the LGBT community, it seems like even though you know it wasn't canceled for those reasons, um, because so much of the the driving force of that story um was just about like the lgbt community i feel like it almost comes off like it's a social like a moral thing to keep it going where like canceling uh the oa is just kind of like uh you know you know like there's no there's no specific people that can feel targeted by its cancellation other than general fans sometimes like Canceling the OA almost feels like you're like canceling gay people or something. I mean, <laughs> canceling Sensei uh, makes yeah. you, makes it seem that way. And and you know, but it's like, I mean, I loved what Sensei. I admittedly love what Sensei could have been, but I didn't ever love what it was. I actually think it got too caught up in its own self righteousness. Right. Yeah. Like I. Um, yeah. I could definitely. Like, what is the story? Like, what is? Yeah. The story? and it was just like we're at a gay parade and i was like i kind of love this but it's not why i'm watching this this show i yeah i agree like i felt like since it was at least from like what it started with the first season second season like the end of the season like for season two was when i thought when i thought like okay the show finally started (laughs) and then it got canceled (laughs) right exactly i just you know i I, yeah yeah Yeah. i feel like Uh. I would almost say that, like, I mean, that's one of the reason why I like the the Wachowski sisters, because, you know, they had this uh, grand mind, you know, which is why The Matrix is my favorite film of all time. But I feel like sometimes they get, I don't know, like, distracted is the best way I can put it, where I feel like Britt Marling is, like, doing, like, the lower budget version of these, like, intellectual things, um, but also, like, still really grounded. Like, there's, there's there's a lot less of an ego yeah, from, yeah. From, from comparatively. I, I don't know. I mean, I can kind of see where you're saying. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, love the Wachowski sisters. Sensei is the one thing I've 
not seen from them. I've seen every one of their other properties, and I love them all. Actually, you know what? I've never seen um their first movie, which I lost Bound. the name of right now. Bound. I have not seen Bound. Um, so it's a movie I've heard about countless times before I even saw The Matrix, because my parents love that movie. Um, just want to say about The OA, it's produced by Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt, if you're one of my favorite actors like I think you are, you would give money to the show. And um, Sharon Van Etten um, is a, um, a co-star in this show. And um, I didn't even know it was her until I looked it up. But she's one of my favorite singers. You should look up her music. It's, um, it's great. Um, I listen to it quite often. Um, you know, I just this was went, fun. What? Wait, I'm sorry. I just went on there because I, um, I, I went on IMDb to look at the Wachowskis, um, you know, filmography because I was curious because I, I was gonna say that I think the only film of them there's I haven't seen, uh, which was Speed Racer, which I know you, uh, talk uh, so much about. But then, but then, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um. And I thought that Bound was their first movie, too. I would have said it, too. But apparently it wasn't. It was Assassins. Um, they wrote that movie. I, I don't think they made it, though. Yeah, uh, not, but I guess... Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I guess a writing credit is still pretty up there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess when you see their full voice, you know, directing and writing would be... Bound. But yeah, I I know about Assassins. I haven't seen that either. I think is that a uh, Antonio Banderas? Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I hear that movie is not very good by most regards, unfortunately. Uh. Ah. Uh, oh, shit. I got a text about work. <laughs> That's not good. Um. Yeah. Uh. But I feel like Bound is probably their first thing to come together. Um. Well, the Wachowskis love Britt Marley. I would sit down and play with either Wachowski, honestly. I'd want to break their head about Speed Racer, <laughs> one of the greatest <laughs> movies of the <laughs> of the two thousands. Make it a podcast episode. <laughs> oh God, don't make it a podcast. I could I could talk hours about that fucking masterpiece. Uh... Um, God, that movie's so dense. In a good way, not dense as in stupid, dense in content. Um, <laughs> all right. We've gone on very long about this, so let's talk about what we've been watching. I'm going to be brief because I'm a mess, and I've only watched... Actually, I didn't watch any movie to completion in a single sitting. Um, but one movie I watched, fell asleep and woke up and finished, <laughs> uh, would be Inside Man. Spike Lee's uh, 2005 joint starring uh, Denzel Washington and, uh, why am I forgetting his Clive name? Owen. Clive Owen. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is a, yeah, Spike, uh, Jodie Foster, Christopher Plummer, um, Willem Dafoe, and Chiwittle, I can't say his last name. The guy that stars in 12 Years a Slave and um, plays Mordo in Doctor Strange. I'd help you, but yeah, I don't know how to pronounce his name either. 
Uh, yeah. So this is a two thousand or this is a heist film where um, Clive Owen and his crews break into a bank and hold it hostage. A wild dog day afternoon, um, but less funny. And Denzel Washington is the cop that's there to stop it. Um, this is honestly, it, it's weird to think about, but I had a I came to this realization this week. This is honestly probably one of the most influential movies of my movie-watching experience because when I originally saw this movie, which I think I saw in theaters because um, I, I, I'm a weird. I see everything in theaters, and this movie was rated R, and I was 11. I still saw it. Um, there's a shot two-thirds of the way in the movie where something happens in the bank that you know, a significant event, and there's a, a shot of Denzel leaving a van, and it's essentially a dot like he's standing on a dolly and they're pulling him back. It's something that Spike Lee does in a lot of movies. But it was so startling in this movie because movie's two hours. This is probably a hundred minutes in, so like an hour forty, that this shot happens and it's it just took me by absolute surprise. I don't know why. I liked it. I don't know what made it interesting, uh, but it was just something I could not stop thinking about. And I honestly, for ever since then, anytime I saw Inside Man on TV, I stopped and watched it just so I could watch this shot again because it's absolutely insane. Um, and it, I didn't know who Spike Lee was didn't really care about filmmaking i loved movies i didn't care how movies were made and i never really thought about director's choices until that point uh and after that moment in 2006 i started thinking like oh directors can do things in movies and make choices they don't just point the camera at actors and good actors because i used to focus just on actors uh, enjoying actors but i was like oh directors can do stuff with the actors that are interesting and unique and in this it's putting denzel with this very very like grim face angry face i mean denzel's a mensch she's great actor and putting him on a dolly and just carrying it through um and it's i don't know it changed my life essentially i i i have to say it i'm sounding hyperbolic but i i literally think that shot changed my life because it made me obsessed more with movies um but besides that this is a fucking excellent thriller um it's a heist movie it's a con movie it's a movie about new york which most movies want to say they are um denzel's fucking awesome in it clive owen is great as the lead con man heist man jodie foster plays a lawyer um she's very good willem dafoe plays a slightly racist um nypd officer um which i mean he's always great um and you know it's a it's a great great movie the 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 shots were also were um denzel and chalittle um interview the hostages afterward is like i mean it's great acting for both of them and it's awesome I mean, it's very well made. I want to end, but I briefly saw this on um, 
a Reddit post this week, coincidentally, um, which was uh, um, the thing with Inside Man, which not real. I, I don't know if it's a spoiler or not. Uh, it, 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 I don't think it is. Um, is that most of the movie is more or less pointless. It, it's a lot of pointless shit, which I say a lot of movies, most of the shit's pointless. Um, I mean, and especially in a con movie or heist movie, like I, I think a lot of those are about misdirection and, you know, things that seem significant and aren't, you know. Um, I think that's just a staple of, uh, these types of movies. Uh, but yeah, Inside Man, most important movie of my life. <laughs> Watch it. It's on Netflix. What have you guys been watching? Um, I watched Cape Fear. Uh, well, I mean, before I like jump into Cape Fear, I mean, it was very interesting to kind of hear like you, uh, you know, kind of bring up about about how much inside my really kind of like uh affected you i thought that was pretty cool to, to hear uh yeah that was a, that was a good shot but yeah like uh cape fear um it was a uh a martin scorsese remake of the uh 1962 uh original uh and basically it's about a criminal who uh, robert de niro plays or, or an ex-con uh where uh you know, Robert De Niro, he's playing this guy who's trying to uh, pursue vengeance against the lawyer that uh, basically uh, could have uh, helped uh, prevent him from, you know, from like doing like about, I, I believe, 16, 15 or 16 years in prison. And he uh, kind of just goes out to, to stalk him and basically orchestrate this this whole plan to you know of course uh take action in regards to to what happened and, and i it was such a it was such an experience because i i mean i i watched it before but i mean like just rewatching, especially now with with everything that's been going on with driving theaters and stuff i really would have loved to have seen this movie in a driving theater uh because i think that it it has this uh very a uh, very b movie uh you know like exaggerated and and it just very stylistic uh, form of, of editing and also just, just the, the, the characters and how they're portrayed. It really goes into this sort of old school type of, of filmmaking because I, because it came out in, in 1991 and, I, and it felt like a movie that would have come out, you know, exactly in the sixties. <laughs> and, and, and that obviously makes sense uh, in this case, because it, it was, it was kind of almost in a way where, I mean, not to like say, I don't want to compare it to the the uh, uh, the the Psycho uh, remake, which the Psycho remake is something else uh, of of a of a conversation. But I I kind of tried to have this sort of '60s aesthetic, but it didn't work in that way. Like I didn't I didn't I didn't really like the the '90s uh, remake of Psycho because it it kind of felt like they were trying to to replicate the style that I didn't feel like was, was as wholesome or really well thought out. But it, it, with Mars Scorsese, he did this. Remake. I just want to say they weren't trying to replicate the style. He was literally remaking the movie shot for shot. Yeah. It, uh, yeah. it was an experiment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, I, like, I think that movie is very interesting. Yeah, no, it, yeah, it definitely is an interesting uh, remake. I mean, in that, in that case is it very much is just like, like literally everything shop for shop but um uh but yeah like uh 
yeah, Cape Fear, at least for, you know, in comparison, I feel like Cape Fear, like, did, I, I think what that remake for Cycle was trying to do was, I guess, trying to bring you back to this era, and I and I feel like Cape Fear really did, like, a good job uh, for, for at least the feeling, because it definitely, it felt so much older than it actually was, and Mars uh, Mars you like, he, like, you could tell he was having fun <laughs> with this movie, because Robert De Niro was just, just fucking... <laughs> <laughs> he was uh he was he, he's a disgusting character in this movie that's for sure but like i mean a lot of a lot of the stuff that happens and he, that he does is ridiculous i, I mean like i uh i mean i want to say certain things but i mean i don't know if they're they'll they'll count as spoilers because i mean like on one hand what he's doing is fucking terrible and just awful and disgusting and on the other hand you have him like just laughing like like a fucking like just like a like a, a maniac just very like exaggerated and then also uh he's like as as a car's driving off like he's like underneath that car I, I mean just like or or when he's on the phone he's like hanging upside down it's like these these different like shots and, and these and these different uh positions that this character is in that i mean he's definitely he's definitely not real <laughs> <laughs> but but uh i mean i feel like uh it was a cool uh a, a cool experience to kind of revisit uh because I, all i could think about was like man like this needs to be in a drive-in theater again because i feel like like the way how everything was portrayed was just so fun where anyone could could just kind of watch this and just like like enjoy it also be like disturbed but also like you know uh kind of have fun with it at the same time it's all these different kind of things that i feel like it's uh definitely uh a, a fun watch overall um and um yeah like that's that's all i have to say i would recommend uh you check it out if you haven't or i mean i, I don't think i watched the original one maybe i did but i can't remember that much uh but yeah i i, I would definitely recommend this movie if you haven't watched it yet yep and i second that very good movie yeah yeah i definitely i don't think i've seen the remake um, but now I'd have to go back and double check. <laughs> oh, and I forgot. Uh, I mean, sorry. Like it has Nick Nolte and uh, Jessica Lange. Yeah. Okay. Wait, and also Juliet Lewis. Yeah. Yeah. Come yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I forgot. Like they, there's a lot of a uh, lot of good talent in in that movie. Yeah. I, I just kind of put all Robert De Niro. He was great, but there's also all the great people too. All right. Okay. So, what do I want to talk about? I clearly watch too much crap. Just kidding. I mean, not just kidding. I do watch a lot. Okay, so I think I'm going to bring it down to these two. Okay, so first, because um, I don't really have that much to say on it. Uh, a couple weeks ago, the first season of, of Run ended on HBO. Uh, creator Vicky Jones, um, executive producer, although... She said in an interview that she was really just there to support her best friend, uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge. The plot is that uh, two exes, male and female, make a promise to run away together if one of them activates their secret code through a text message, which is the word run. So if one of them texts run and the other one responds with run in return, um, then they meet at Grand uh, Central Station. Uh, and then they go on this trip and they kind of run away together. Okay. Um, 
I don't really have a lot of great things to say, although I don't really have a lot of negative either. I just kind of feel mute about it. Um, I definitely, it, when I don't like a show, it really takes a lot for me to just continue or anything really just to kind of continue watching it. Um, just because all I keep thinking about is all the other shit I could be watching that I'm wasting my time while watching this. Um, if it wasn't for my love for Phoebe Waller-Bridge, um, even though she didn't really have much of a role in it and, uh, Merritt Weaver, who's the lead actress and she was amazing. Uh, she is amazing in general. Um, I, you know, I think, she got her first notable role uh, as a nurse in Nurse Jackie um, and uh, where she was kind of this like lovable goofy nurse um, and then uh, and then before run she was uh, on Netflix's limited series I think it was unbelievable uh, the true story about the the girl getting raped and then like trying to find who her rapist was but then they keep calling her crazy that it, like it didn't happen because she's kind of like this outcast um, living on her own. So that's kind of a whole thing. And in that role, she plays a very, she plays the cop. So, you know, the kind of like cliche cop that's going to solve this, uh, you know, mystery in a way, like what's going on. Uh, but she does it really well. And it's also starring um, Tony Collette. Really great. If you haven't uh, seen that, but um, so I was I was really interested in 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 her in this role because I felt like she was perfect for this idea, uh, because it it kind of is is humor tied with you know the drama and the stress of trying to make this work. Um, so I felt like through that kind of personal love and appreciation is why I kept watching the show to the end of the season. Um, but I can say that I will not be watching the second season unless I have absolutely nothing to watch at that time, which is unlikely. Uh, it takes way too long to have any substance. Um, and then when you watch all seven episodes, which is what how long the season is, um, you realize it, it never really gets anywhere. Uh, it's kind of, at first it feels like it's distracted by different, by trying to be different. Um, for example, that there's a there's a scene um, where it's like a woman masturbating in a se semi-public place. So I, I feel like when that scene happened, I recognized, I was like, hmm, I don't know if I've really, you know, that's not something you see very often. I mean, you very often don't even see women enjoying sex at all. I mean, they're kind of enjoying it, but it's really from this more male perspective. So to only kind of, to it be a... a um, a woman enjoying this kind of sexual pleasure. And then on top of that, she's only really enjoying it by herself. Um, th that was kind of, I was like, Oh, I haven't really seen that before. And that's something that, that uh, I think that they're both great at, especially Phoebe Waller-Bridge kind of adding these moments where you, you feel like, wow, you can still be original uh, or, or creative or different. Um, even with all the stories that are out now, but that's kind of all it had. Um, it just it just felt so empty and kind of made up along the way. And it's just, it's hard to kind of, how to describe criticism because, you know, it's like, I know that they just didn't write it as they went along. I mean, it was something that was sat and thoroughly planned and, you know, um, I, I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's just, from an audience perspective, it's just kind of like, I guess I'm confused at, at how 
these choices for the characters were just made. It just, it seemed like it was so much of it was rooted in this idea like man what what would if like you had this pact but then that's not enough to like almost create a story out of it um i think that i i i i personally really did not like the show at all um for a couple of people that i've talked to about it they've i wouldn't say that that what i've heard is not like any rave reviews but more kind of like uh yeah like a shoulder shrug um i think that audiences like get caught up in the fantasy of what's going on. Um, like the whole aspect of running away with a lover from the past, uh, because maybe we've all had that, you know, dream in our head. Like what if, you know, to have someone that you, you could always like count on if you know, when life gets hard or those things, but when you when but the plot is so weak and then it just starts to get ridiculous. I just, and then to me, it's like, so it's, it, it, maybe it's not plot driven, maybe it's supposed to be character driven, but then I wasn't interested enough in the characters at all. And, and, um, you know, like when you compare it to a show like, like, uh, I don't know, Dead to Me on Netflix, which is, I mean, so ridiculous. The plot is just, it's just, you know, but you don't, you don't watch it for the, for the plot exactly. You, you watch it because you love the, 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 the two women, uh, you know, ca- character, Christina Applegate and, the dark hair one who's whose name I'm totally forgetting right now. Um, but so Ron, I just, it, it, it just, I didn't know what it was and I didn't know what it was and I wasn't enjoying it. Um, but, but I'm almost kind of sad that it it's came out because I feel like if another story or another creative kind of like wants to take this same idea, but do it their own way, I feel like we're going to have to wait some time for that because we just already had one, uh, um, now, I mean, I, recommending it wise, I don't know if you're interested in a story where it's almost like anything can change at any moment, but it just is stupid. <laughs> I don't, sorry. I'm trying not to be, I mean, this is really like the first time I think I'm reviewing something that I absolutely cannot stand. And this is why I don't keep watching things. Cause then I just grow resentment. Um, but yeah. Okay. I would say that if you're interested in a story where, where the story can change at any moment, depending on the decisions of the characters, but you actually like love the characters. And I think that I would stick with watching dead to me on Netflix. Um, it's kind of equally ridiculous, but significantly more entertaining with, with choices and, and consequences that actually make sense. Like I think that the characters would actually make those choices. And I think that the consequences that follow those choices are reasonable, even within how, like far-fetched the whole idea is um i i just some of the things that happened in run i was like seriously like what uh, i don't know um um yeah so i i uh was kind of bummed about about that um but i just thought it was kind of funny because i listened to a uh an interview with phoebe waller bridge kind of like right before the show came out and um and they kind of briefly asked her about it. And, you know, she was like, oh, no, I was just because they really make it clear to put her name like anywhere they talk about this show, like how she was an executive producer, because, um, you know, with her with her becoming really, really successful between uh, um, the second season of Fleabag and then the, six, the commercial success of Killing Eve and like how now she was one of the writers on the James Bond film. Um, then it was like executive producer, like 
uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, and then you're kind of reminded about how, you know, you know, oh, she didn't write it, so maybe, uh, you know, she was just there. She just said that I'm just supporting my friend here, <laughs> which I mean is good enough. And she stars in it too, which I thought kind of made me interested to kind of keep it going. I was like, well, maybe she, maybe I'll just like like her supporting character. And I, and then it almost seemed more just odd. Like she wasn't supposed to be there. That whole character wasn't supposed to be there. Anyways, I'm going to move on and talk about something I really enjoyed. Okay. Um, so uh, I'm going to talk about uh, a podcast, um, which was the left right game starring Tessa Thompson. And uh, it was created by Jack Anderson. Um, when I checked his IMDb, I didn't see any other credits. And I honestly didn't do much more research than that. Um, so for the plot, it's it does what a lot of, or like most fictional podcasts do. It's the protagonist is a journalist recording her experiences. Uh, but on this, uh, on, on this specific show, she's following a group of like paranormal explorers that are obsessed with this uh, game called the left right game um there's a point in the story where it gets a bit like matrix reloaded uh um but it's 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 kind of easy to excuse because most of the experience is not like that and uh by matrix reloaded i mean the architect <laughs> wait that's matrix reloaded i should know these things right <laughs> okay um where it's like okay why are we all right we didn't need all that uh you know for this podcast now this is the uh um first podcast where in the beginning of each episode they really kind of emphasize that this is an audio experience um and and kind of like be careful while you're driving i mean they really like over exaggerate i think it also kind of ties into who their uh sponsor is um but you know, and, and it's true because there's a, it, the whole story, they're on this trip. So there's a lot of car sounds. So I guess, you know, you do want to be careful while you're driving, make sure like you're not super blasting it or something or hear like a, some sort of alarm and think it's someone around you. Uh, just, I guess, something to consider. Um, now it's, it's, so I kind of wanted to talk about this. Now I did enjoy it overall. If, um, now I, but I wanted to use this fictional podcast as a way to kind of go on like a wee bit tangent about fictional podcasts, which is in regards to recommending it. It just kind of depends on what your goal is. Um, if you already listen to audio dramas and you have something else that, um, that you want to prioritize, then I would say like kind of prioritize it. It's good, but it's not great. So there are significantly better ones. Um, if you've never really listened to them and you want to try one and let's say you have like a specific love for Tessa Thompson because I know she kind of has this way of, of talking that it's, it's kind of alluring. Uh, I would say go for it. Um, but there are better ones. And uh, since I don't want to review other ones I've already listened to, because I won't really listen to them again, I just kind of want to use this as a segue to talk about Story Driven Podcasts uh, briefly. Um, and, and I want to say story driven because fictional is a bit too broad. Um, so I really like fictional storytelling podcasts more than any other type of podcast, like Roundtable, which is kind of like what we do, or uh, interviews, um, or how every podcast is about crime, which is so annoying, but I guess people do love crime. Um, I think that like the storytelling ones are not appreciated enough, even with within podcast listeners. Um, 
Um, they're produced significantly better than most audiobooks, I think, but I may not know, know enough about audiobooks to make that a solid argument. I feel like someone could easily uh, try to disagree with me. Um, but I really especially love the ones that utilize the fact that it's an audio um, story but doesn't necessarily depend on it. Like, um, because a lot of the stories, they tend to be like reporters or investigators or radio hosts or something where they're like, it's such an easy excuse to why they're recording all the time and why we're listening to it. But I actually don't feel like that's necessary. I love when fictional uh, storytelling podcasts uh, where the writers are more creative and they're just understanding that like it's just not they go beyond just like this kind of uh you know like you know uh i'm reporter this and you know we're gonna talk about the it's like i get it like you don't have to so many fall under fall underneath that trap i think because it's easier um when really a fictional podcast is just should be like you're watching a movie without any visuals like everything else is in there but that you just can't see anything. Um, they've become so popular, uh, just kind of since podcasts have become popular. Um, now when it comes to these storytelling wins, you got a lot of big, huge names. And, um, and, and actually a lot of them are women too. Like you have, uh, Cynthia Arriva, which was, uh, she was in Carrier. Um, you have Kristen Wiig and Aaliyah Shawkat. The, they were in, uh, Sandra, um, and then you have like Catherine Keener, um, who was in Homecoming, I believe. Um, and then you have like Carrie Coon, who was in Mother Hacker, and Chloe Grace Moretz, who was in something I'm totally forgetting. So you got like all these big names. Um, and I really love it because they're giving them more attention. But I guess the downside to the big names, it's like with everything. Uh, maybe they're stealing the work from the little guy. It's kind of like voice actors like had their like niche, and now you got like major, you know, now you got like Rami Malek like in a podcast. You know, it's kind of like, you know, who, what is he taking a job from someone or not? Um, now, now I, I feel like when I come across best fictional podcast articles, they always mention the same ones like Welcome to Night Vale, and it's like. I understand that's a good one, but I, I don't know. It just, I feel like that one just has seniority, but it doesn't mean that it's necessarily like that great. Um, I don't know. I could never could get into it personally. Um, and then, so yeah, I just kind of like the ones I mentioned before, uh, just a second ago, like Sandra or mother hacker, um, those just don't get discussed and they are so great and so creative they really utilize the fact that it's an audio us like storytelling to its advantage um without it being like they're reporters i mean the reporter thing kills me um but the best one i've listened to of all time and i will finish this tangent is life after um uh produced by panoply in the ge podcast theater uh just briefly um he this fbi employee gets caught up constantly conversing online with his wife who died eight months ago. And that's just really all I want to say about it. And uh, it's, it's just so good. Um, and uh, I just want to say that if you do search for it at all, like life after, um, if you type it in a searching thing, you'll also probably see it come up with another podcast, a fictional one called the message. Uh, they just 
it's just produced by the same people, so they kind of kept it under one thing, but they're two separate. So you can, if you look, you can listen to one and you like it, you immediately have another fictional one to kind of get your hands on. But I would say Life After is probably the best fictional storytelling podcast I have I have heard still after all after all the ones I've listened to. And, uh, and I kind of uh, thought about Tristan, too, when I was thinking about this, because I, mem- I remember in a previous episode, you mentioned a love for, like, the lo-fi sci-fi. And I think that, you know, if you haven't listened to it, uh, I don't know, like, what your relationship is with podcasts in general. But if you haven't listened to it, I think that you would kind of get a kick out of it. I mean, and Jeremy, too. But that's it. I am, woo, done. That was like a workout. Um, I was kind of bummed wow. out hearing about uh about Run. Like I, I was I like I said I was I was like starting that series and I was kind of like eh, I mean, all right I guess this is where the story begins. <laughs> and then like I, I I had to wait for the other episodes to drop. So um, nice to know it it all paid off in the end. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, the podcast. Uh, yeah, I'll definitely look into that. That's cool. Um, yeah, uh, what I want to say about Ron is, uh, I think, uh, I was semi-interested in it, but, uh, you kind of got a point where, um, if anything is heavily marketed for its producer, that's usually a warning sign for me, unless it's, like, some, like, unknown filmmaker or, you know, creative that's, uh, uh, the producer is covering, it's usually not a good sign. Like, usually when you see a trailer and it's, like, from the producers of, inception and transformers you know i'm usually all right yeah it's usually not good well michael bay produced the teenage mutant ninja turtle movies the new ones which i just saw really yeah um but yeah i will say um i was gonna listen to that podcast because i do have a specific love for tessa thompson but then you mentioned life hacker with carrie coon and i forgot it's Mother Mother Hacker with Carrie Coon, but that one's really good too. Like if yeah. Mother Hacker is is probably my second favorite one of podcasts. Yeah, um, I remember you bringing this up before. Um, I will take priority on listening to it. I already downloaded the first episode. Um, Carrie Coon is one of my favorite actors, and it was favorite performance of the last decade, which I will talk about another time. Oh, oh let me just say, you know. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. You don't say that enough. Um, thank you, David, for the theme song. You did a good job. Um, and thank you, you guys, for um, co-hosting with me. Um, yeah, I mean, you can't find me anywhere. I don't have social media. Um, you can watch The Turning on physical and digital media. And, um, yeah, still haven't filed my taxes. I'll, I'll get to it eventually. I got a month. Uh, where can we find you guys? Um, I am on Instagram. I mean, I'm mostly Instagram nowadays. I mean, uh, you can follow me at uh, Tristan Presents, and you can also subscribe to me at Tristan uh, on Tristan Presents, the YouTube channel. Uh, and, of course, our Instagram, uh, Rec Society, or Rec.Society in this case. And we also have a YouTube channel, Rec Society, uh, R-E-C, so short for Rec. In case you haven't noticed by the title. Um, and yeah. And uh, you know how it goes. Um, everyone probably stops listening by this, <laughs> by this point. <laughs> oh, we don't need to hear that spiel again. Um, so yeah, tweet list Twitter at VYKY number four, number four. Although I can say that since it's summertime, um, 
now I have reopened Instagram, which I guess I exist a little bit more on, but still not so much, which is at VYKY4. So, you know, if you ever want to stalk me, it's usually either at VYKY4 or at VYKY44, uh, or just keep adding fours until there's a unique one. Um, but yeah, those are the those are the two. Uh, that's great. Um, I just uh, you got to hold out till you can sell that Twitter. I, I know you're gonna get a good offer. Um, somebody that's gonna be 44 and want to run for president. Um, <laughs> that being said, uh, I had no idea we had a uh, Rex Society Instagram, and you should send me the information because I am apparently not allowed to look at Instagram wait, without wait, an wait, account. Wait, are you joking or are you? Scared? <laughs> Uh, no, I, I had no idea. I didn't know I we had this every episode. <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? Well, well I, I mean, that I didn't even realize that Jeremy was said the turning a few times. I was like, what? Yeah. He would say it so fast. <laughs> I said Yes, but Tristan does say it every episode. I said it every episode. I figured you were plugging your own Instagram. What the fuck do you post on there? We're an audio medium. Like, what are you, you, you posting? Well, lately, funny pictures. Lately, uh, lately, not much, but I mean, like, uh, I'm just trying to, you know, of course, wait for, you know, for us to kind of get to, like, uh, I guess a certain point where I'm going to just start taking, because I, I told you this already, I think I'm going to start posting audio clips uh, on our Instagram and also our YouTube to kind of just promote our, our show and just kind of let everyone know what we're about and, you know, hopefully... Uh, build a community like I had initially wanted, uh, you know, for us to do, and yeah, just kind of, just showing what kind of fun we have on the show, you know, like uh, yeah. All right, um, that's good to know. That's a good plug, and also brings up uh, my point. Uh, we haven't had enough good content to be able to post clips. <laughs> uh, that's great to know. Um, but you should let me uh, get that information just so I can look at Instagram. I can't even look at the. Look at it without a an account. Yeah, I'll uh, send it to you. <laughs> <laughs> if you know the handle and it's public, you you can look at it. Uh, yeah, I think on my browser, like if I, from what I understand, on my browser, on my phone, I can look at it for a little bit and then it forces a login screen on me. Yeah, it does. It does. And then if I go on my computer and, and like I can look at it, but if I click on a picture, it forces a login or a video, it forces a login pic, uh, screen on me. So I have very limited access to it, which I mean, Twitter lets you look at uh, everything. And, you know, I did make a Twitter account. Um, I'm leaving this all in the episode. Um, I'm just vaping because I got a, um, a 10 minute arrival time for my uber which is absolutely fucking nuts i shouldn't post it that far away um yeah i I mean um all right um yeah um uh yeah great all right all right well uh we'll, we'll see you later um people goodbye bye bye